Before we get to today's show, I'd like to hear from you. This show is nothing without our listeners, and we want to make sure we provide you with what you're looking for. Our mailbox is open to all suggestions. So if you have a topic you want to learn about, or a guest you want to hear from, let us know by sending us an email to jagahealthandwellness at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-G-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-N-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. I'm Angelo Viola. And I'm Pete Bowman. Now, you might know us as the hosts of Canada's favorite fishing show, but now we're hosting a podcast. That's right. Every Thursday, Angela and I will be right here in your ears, bringing you a brand new episode of Outdoor Journal Radio. Hmm. Now, what are we going to talk about for two hours every week? Well, you know there's going to be a lot of fishing. I knew exactly where those fish were going to be and how to catch them, and they were easy to catch. Yeah, but it's not just a fishing show. We're going to be talking to people from all facets of the outdoors, from athletes. All the other guys would go golfing. Me and Garth and Turk and all the Russians would go fishing. To scientists. But now that we're reforesting and laying things, it's the perfect transmission environment for Lyme disease. To chefs. If any game isn't cooked properly, marinated, or you will taste it. And whoever else will pick up the phone. Wherever you are, Outdoor Journal Radio seeks to answer the questions and tell the stories of all those who enjoy being outside. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the world gets louder and louder, the lessons of our natural world become harder and harder to hear. But they are still available to those who know where to listen. I'm Jerry Olette, and I was honored to serve as Ontario's Minister of Natural Resources. However, my journey into the woods didn't come from politics. Rather, it came from my time in the bush and a mushroom. In 2015, I was introduced to the birch-hungry fungus known as chaga, a tree conch with centuries of medicinal applications used by Indigenous peoples all over the globe. After nearly a decade of harvest, use, testimonials and research, my skepticism has faded to obsession, and I now spend my life dedicated to improving the lives of others through natural means. But that's not what the show is about. My pursuit of this strange mushroom and my passion for the outdoors has brought me to the places and around the people that are shaped by our natural world. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Under the Canopy podcast, I'm going to take you along with me to see the places, meet the people, that will help you find your outdoor passion and help you live a life close to nature and under the canopy. So join me today for another great episode and hopefully we can inspire a few more people to live their lives under the canopy. Well, it's about time after all these sessions that we look at doing something a little bit the way everybody expected it was going to be and that's talking about chaga and i brought my son garrett my chaga picker can people ask me he says oh how do you get the uh the, those those chagas way up the tree um to, to get up there and i said well i i've got a special tool i, I use my garrett and uh, they look at me garrett, what's that i said well that's my son he's got the climbing spurs and he does that but uh welcome garrett and uh, we're going to talk chaga eh? 
Awesome. Yeah, I get a lot of questions about Chegg all the time, and sometimes I don't have all the answers for it because I'm not as invested in it as you are in uh, the knowledge aspect, yep. but I definitely enjoy picking it, that's for sure. Yeah, we spend a lot of time out there in the bush and it takes a lot because, you know, it's it's not that easy to find, right? No, it's uh, it's very uncommon, like one in every 10,000, so it is hard to come across. Yeah. So, well, what do you want to talk about? Well, Lead us in. The number one question I always get when people ask me about Chega is they really want to know, how did you get into Chega in the first place? Well, it was kind of a bit of an interesting story in that, as you know, when I was a minister, I was granted that privilege and honor to be a minister of Natural Resources for Ontario. I hired a guy from Northern Ontario, Pierre Gagnon. Uh, he's out of Timmins, kind of halfway between Timmins and Chapleau, and to handle the forestry file. And he actually, um, because he, he owned and ran a, a forest harvesting company, um, I used uh, Pierre. Uh, to handle all the forestry aspects of the forestry file for the province of Ontario. And he was a great person. He was uh, really good at his job, and he'd go through all the paperwork and bring it to me, and we'd have a look at it. So I had Pierre. After we were done with, with that and all the politics stuff, Pierre contacted and reached out to me and said, hey, have you found anything yet? And I said, no, I'm still looking. He said, oh, well, look into this Chaga stuff. And I kind of said, like most people, what's that? And Pierre said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He said, look it up on your own. And he knows I'm a little obsessive compulsive. So we started looking at it. And I can't believe what I'm reading. This is, you know, all the stuff that it's good for and the reports and on and on and on, you know, about cancer and arthritis and diabetes and blood pressure and stuff like that. I go, yeah, 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 sure, snake oil stuff. So we started collecting it. And I recall we collected it for about a year and a half. And I recall, I said, Pierre, I called him up and I said, I've looked at over 2,000 trees. I can't say a single one yet. And he just, don't worry, it'll come. So I finally found it. I started to collect it. And then we gave it away to friends. And one of the friends was Bob, as you know, the gnome. And Bob, he's had a number of open heart surgeries, open brain surgeries. He's had over a dozen heart attacks. I drove him uh, from camp to, to the hospital uh, having one heart attack and was dealing with stage four prostate cancer. And I said, Bob, this is supposed to be really good for your, um, your cancer. He's like, Jerry, he said, after everything I've been through every day, I get up. It's a good day. I'll be more than happy to try. So Bob takes it, tries it, and he goes in to see his oncologist for his three-month regular visit. And the oncologist says, uh, Bob, is, we don't know how to explain this to you. We don't understand what's happening because all your numbers are normal now. And we don't know how that's possible because we haven't begun any therapy with you yet. And you'd have to meet uh, Bob the gnome uh, to understand. And Bob just kind of looks and shakes and says, oh, I wonder how that happens. So next three months go by and Bob goes back in to, to see his oncologist and the exact same result. So he tells him about all, all of this. Now, Bob was one example. And then there was another good friend of ours, Doug, bless his soul. And Doug actually had two forms of cancer, multiple myeloma, bladder cancer, arthritis, and was diabetic. And Doug used to take his in a different form. Anyways, uh, Doug was a coffee drinker, and we blended with his coffee. And what we did there was give it to him, and, and he took it. Well, lo and behold, both cancers were neutralized. 
It uh, stabilized his blood sugar, and it also uh, eliminated his arthritis. And when I started to get results like this, I realized, you know something? There's something to this. It just doesn't snake oil. And we started to go from there, and that's how it started. You know, we started from Pierre telling us about it and then looking it up and then trying to find it. And then we found individuals, and we got a lot of other individuals with similar results. And that's how we started. Awesome. Yeah, like I get a lot of questions about how we got into it because people don't realize that it's been around for tens of thousands of years. It's just no one's known how to come about it, really. Yeah, it's it's been a bit different. Um, you know, First Nations of uh, the Indigenous people have been using it for thousands of years. I know the Algonquins call it Buck Buck. At least I had a, an Algonquin come in uh, to and met me and, and told me he was an Algonquin, and, and that's what they called it. And they've been using it for thousands of years. And not only that, but uh, the very, very popular in in all through Scandinavia, in uh, Finland, Poland, Germany, Northern Asia as well. It, it, it's some of the countries like Finland, I know I had a number of uh, Finns that uh, used it and actually did some testimonials for us on, on some of the shows. And she was telling us that uh, in Finland, because they're part of the EU, it was one of the, or the only mushroom in Finland that people in the EU could not come there and harvest because they, would lose it all, according to what she was saying. So it's very well protected, and actually uh, Helsinki University has quite a bit of research in on there. So it's, it's been around for quite a while. The history of it is has been pretty good. It uh, I know uh, I had uh, one friend, uh, Igor, and he was telling me that Alexander the Great, actually he was reading a book that was about 450 years ago, um, used it, uh, they had a dinner, and then after the dinner, they went and enjoyed a cup of Jaga, he said, and uh, it was very interesting. So a lot of history about it, been around for quite a while. Awesome, yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. The next question I always get when people like want to know Chaga, and when they first get into it, first get introduced to it, they're like, I want to do my research. Like, I, I, what do I go? Where do I go? What's a good site? Like, what's trustworthy? What's not trustworthy? You know, because when they start getting into it, then there's all these things that pop up about Chaga and people have no idea where do you go for a reliable source for the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and I think the biggest aspect about that is, is, is finding, as you mentioned, reliable research. And there is loads of stuff on the net and on YouTube and everything else. And I, I watch a bunch of those shows. And as soon as I'm watching them, you know, ourselves, we have over 3,000 hours of research into this now, over 1,000 studies worldwide that we've, that we've gone through and read on various aspects all over the world. But the biggest thing is I look at the reference material before I read a research article. And when you look at a reference material, you can see the, the, the sources that they use to determine uh, the, their, what they were going to write in their article. And that's how I determine the validity of it. And you'll see a lot of those other sources. Like I know that, and I basically give out, unless people ask for specialty stuff, that they're dealing with somebody. Like I had somebody dealing with cervical cancer last week, and I gave them a study on that. But most of the time I give out to what's called the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, who's done research on it. And, you know, you got to read this, make sure you read it all. But it's one of the ones that is referenced, this, this article that they wrote, 
is referenced in a lot of the other articles that we give out. Now, the, the Memorial Sloan, and it predominantly deals with a lot of the cancers, but it talks about a lot of the other aspects about it. So it talks about, and I can just read the headlines, to prevent and treat cancer. Um, so this study, and you need to look at the date because you want to make sure it's updated as well. And I don't have the date of publication on the one I'm holding in my hand, but, you know, it, it says to prevent, when I mentioned that having to prevent and treat cancer, studies in human or, humans are needed uh, to stimulate the immune system. And again, it says studies in humans are needed uh, to reduce inflammation and clinical trials uh, for this use are needed, it says, to protect the liver. Um, and it goes on that these benefits have been studied, have not been yet studied or confirmed. So you want to look at all those details and just don't read, you know, what you want to see in it, but read and understand the article. And the other ones that I that I hand out is another one from Brunswick Laboratories. Although when COVID came in, I tried to find their website and couldn't find it, but I, I saved the article from Brunswick Laboratories and it was a pretty good article. And it did, it talks about the, the immunomodulatory effects of, of Chaga, the anti-inflammatory, the antioxidant, the anti-cancer effects and things like that. And it's another one that has a, a significant number of research articles that they use to write the article. And two others that I use on a regular basis are one from Vitality Magazine. And this one came out in 2018. And to be honest, I haven't checked because a lot of times when they do these articles, they uh, they will do an update on it. And I haven't gone to Vitality Magazine website to check. And, and I mean, this one here is, is uh, done by, uh, the listing is Ralph W. Moss, PhD, February the 1st, 2018. And the same thing with the, the Brunswick one. It lists you the people who wrote it, which is, uh, oh, Janessica Piljek Zajarek, PhD as well. And that gives the author. So it gives you some of the, the details. And, and actually, uh, you know, some of these will um, come forward and mention a lot of historic stuff. So this one is uh, from from Vitality Magazine, and starts off talking about a book called Cancer Ward by a, a, a Nobel Peace Prize winner. It was a Russian who was sent to the Gulag who had cancer, who used the Chaga, according to the the locals that were there, and cured his cancer in in Russia. So it was quite an interesting article. The person won a, a Nobel Peace Prize as well for for his his work. And then the last one I bring is uh, from, uh, um, I hand out on a regular basis from Dr. Edward Group, which is Chaga Mushroom, the Immune Boosting Superfood. And he's, Edward, Dr. Edward Group is the founder of Global Healing. And that goes and talks about a lot of the research. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And I, and I watch some of them. And, and I know I watched on YouTube. And the one YouTube I saw that was kind of concerning was uh, one guy says that, uh, it, uh, oh, and you don't have to worry, it only grows on birch trees, so if you find it anywhere else, it's not chaga. Well, that's not true, as we found it on a significant number of other species, including ironwood and poplar and a number of other things that are listed where chaga can be found. So I knew that person didn't know what they are talking about. And then I saw another one that, uh, so delete that video, don't pass that information on. And then I saw another one, uh, another person uh, was going in and stating, well, you can only harvest it when 
It's been three or four days at minus 20 or something like like that uh, that this person was saying. I said, oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about as well. And a lot of that stuff we try and figure out uh, when we go to different areas and talk to different groups as well. So when you're looking at it, look at the reference material. And some of the sources that you can find a lot of good material in this is, is if you go to a, a website called PubMed. And if on PubMed, if you key in Chaga or the the Latin name is Inotanus Oblicus is uh, the Latin name for it. If you key those in under PubMed or Science Direct, you're going to come across a lot of articles that'll give you background and research. And if you're looking for something specific, such as arthritis and things like that, then you can find specific articles that pertain to that and the research. And those ones there, um, if it's a researcher that's publishing it, and these are peer-reviewed sites that they publish on that it, uh, groups and organizations can look at and utilize for their research. If you're not used to reading a research article, look at the, read the, the first part of it, which is the abstract, and it talks about what it's going to talk about. Sometimes it'll give a description or a discussion, and then the conclusion as well. But uh, the other stuff, it can be so in-depth that people look at it and go, that glare comes over their eyes, and they kind of lose sight of what they're actually reading about. So that's some of the ways to, to look at the research. But I think one of the things that we need to, to talk about is actually, you know, Garrett, is, is what actually Chaga is, right? Yeah, I guess. Like a lot of questions about when people like do a little research on there's they figure things out for themselves and they go, what is even Chaga though? Yeah. And that's one of the things that um, a lot of people actually try to figure out and people go by when we're at locations and doing events and, and I bring Chagas with me and they look and you look, you, you get this, what is that look? You know, the kind of squinched up the brow or, and, and like, like, what is it? Anyway, so I always say it's a mushroom, okay? And the basis of a mushroom is a mushroom is a fruiting body of a, a fungus, a fungi, a fungi. And there's a main components. Now, if you compare, say, a mushroom to, say, an apple tree. So the roots of an apple tree would compare to the mycelium of the mushroom, which is kind of the... The, uh, the, the part that connects to, and, and we're putting this in terms so people can, listening uh, to the podcast can understand so that the mycelium of the, the fungus is actually like the roots of a tree where it extracts the, the materials from where it's connected to, whether it's a ground mushroom or a tree mushroom. And then the mushroom actually is the fruiting body of the fungus. So, and that would compare to, say, the apple of an apple tree. Now, the seeds of an apple would compare to the spores of the fungus on how it spreads. So mushrooms um, produce the, the, or produce the spores that spread the, the seeds around in different areas. And that's why when people are, are collecting mushrooms in the woods, a lot of times you'll see them with a, a wicker basket. And the reason they suggest wicker baskets is when you're walking through the woods, what you're actually doing, doing or through the fields or wherever you're harvesting is you're actually spreading the spores from those mushrooms throughout the woods. But if you have it in a completely enclosed container, like a plastic bag, which we don't suggest anyways, because you could develop mold and secondary growth by keeping it in the plastic, but the wicker baskets actually work great at spreading the spore body around. So Chaga has mycelium, 
a fruiting body, and the spores. It's actually a conch, and there's different kind of conchs. There's artist conchs. There's there's uh, horse horseshoe uh, conchs, horse hoof conchs. Sorry, that uh, are out there, and those are just some of the things that uh, would compare to chaga. So chaga is a basically we call it a mushroom to everybody, and give everybody a, ba- a brief understanding of it. That's kind of the basis of what a chaga is. Yeah, and then like the next question there would be like, because when we we harvest it, it comes in all different kind of sizes, and people are like, "How does it grow?" Like I don't understand how like, it can get so big, and then how some of them are so small. Like, what's the difference there? Is there just an age difference, size difference, the way on the trees? Does the tree matter to the chaga at all as well? Well, we find we only harvest off birch because that's where. All the medicinal studies that we've ever read have all been birch harvested in Chagas. So we only harvest off birch. And we find that it grows about – now, we've got three dozen test trees, and we monitor uh, the growth on some of the trees, on the ones we've harvested, and to, to see the growth on those trees. Not only that, but we also have tried to, to – um, inoculate a number of trees to see if we can promote growth, wild growth on a lot of the trees. And we've done it with a number. So we've got about three dozen test trees. And one of the things that we were able to find, I know, up, I believe it was seven and a half up uh, where we go. Garrett knows what we're talking about. We talk about seven and a half, it means seven and a half miles in from the uh, main road. And at seven and a half, I actually have a couple of trees there that we're checking we find that the, the trees that were high and dry, so ones that had chagas on it, that were, say, on the side of the hill or on top of the hill, actually grew about three-quarters of an inch a year. And the ones that were in swampy areas, like a heavy moisture con- concentration along streams and things like that, they grew about a half an inch a year. So you get a lot of... of different growth areas, and it grows about, so we tell people about a half an inch a year. So when you look at a chaga, the size of it coming off the tree, basically you measure the height and divide that by half an inch, and it'll tell you. So we've got some that probably are about 40 years old, but we always leave a bit on the tree to make sure that it'll continue to grow afterwards. And our research shows that that so long as you leave some on the tree, it'll continue to grow. But we've got even more research that is interesting, thanks to, again, Pierre. One of the things that we found is Pierre still runs a logging business and he does some birch harvesting. And Pierre was telling us that every single tree that they harvested, birch tree that is, all the centers were all rotten and it was all full of chaga mycelium. So it had gone through the complete tree. And so that's one of the things that we're finding is that that mycelium will run through the entire tree, not localized, which is some research that's pretty good out there. Awesome. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. And you said something can grow up to like 40 years old. Is that like, so how big would those pieces get? Like everyone asks, like, what's the biggest piece you could ever find? <laughs> well, if, if, if you took your hands and uh, up at uh, High Dam Road, if you know what I mean, Garrett, yep. there was uh, one spot there where if you put your hands together, touched your fingertips, that would be the size of the entire diameter on about a 200-year-old yellow birch tree. And it was huge. It was a ways up, but it was only about, um, I would say, about six, eight inches off the tree, the entire chaga. So that one there uh, was probably the largest one. 
But we think we have three in our curing room right now that would be probably about, uh, I'm going to say 22, 22 inches tall. So that should make it about 44 inches years old. So 44 years old is about uh, how old that would be. So they get quite large. And people ask about when you're talking about this stuff, how what size do you, do you harvest? Well, if you can find ones that, you know, basically are kind of like, uh, oh, grapefruit size, say, and that sort of size, then those are ones there. But always when people come in and ask, well, and I, last Saturday I identified some because we do a lot of identification. And what a lot of people bring in, over 80% of what people bring us, it's not chaga. And everybody says the exact same thing, but I got it off a birch tree. But just because it comes off a birch tree doesn't mean it's chaga. There's a lot of things that will grow on a birch tree. We've got turkey tail. We've got birch polypore. We've got hoof conch. We've got a lot of things. And sometimes those, when, for example, when hoof conch starts to die off, it'll gain an exterior that looks just like chaga. And when you turn it over, it still has that umber-colored inside. And people say, well, yeah, but I got it off a birch tree. And look, it's, no, that's hoof conch. Anyways, we try to make sure that uh, we get people the right stuff about it and they're harvesting the right stuff. So, And we always tell them to leave a bit on the tree as well. So it can get quite large and sometimes um, people will notice and some you can make a mark or a GPS noting of where it is if they're smaller one and give it some time to grow. And the areas that uh, we we at actually harvested will be back in probably not next not this year, next year, we'll start looking at some of those sites that we harvested 10 years ago because those ones now should be 10 years old. And we'll check those out, those locations to see about reharvesting in those same areas. So, touching more on harvesting, then, like a lot of people like always ask, where do you find it? Because people have such a hard time finding it, looking for it. Like, is there any tips or suggestions that you could make to say when people are going to go out and look for it for themselves? What Right. Should they be looking for what areas should they be targeting in a way? Yeah, I recall doing a show in Coburg, Ontario, and a lady came in and said, "This is the stuff here." She said, "You know, my uh, we have a friend, a doctor who lives in up in Sudbury, and he sent me a bunch of this for her cervical cancer." And um, she ran out of it, and she said to her husband, "Well, we'll just go over to the Northumberland Forest, and we'll go find some in there." She said, we went in and spent the entire day looking and couldn't find anything. Well, the, the more birch trees there are, the, the more likely you're going to find it. And a lot of it we find, if you if you take, like for example, take 100 acres, and you find one chaga in one spot in that area, you might find about a half a dozen in that same area. So look around. And I recall um, we were, when I put the grandpa's ashes to, to rest, on the spirit watch, there's a trail beside there. And we have a watch where we have, we put a lot of uh, souls to rest. And it's in the bush. And we were walking, so I walked down the trail afterwards and I thought, I went a couple kilometers. I didn't find any chag at all. And I was totally shocked. I thought this would have been perfect. And so when I turned around and came back out along that trail, guess what? They were all on the other side of the trees, just the way the configuration was. So you got to, look all around the tree to determine where they are. And when you see them on the tree, look in those areas and you'll find a lot more. And one of the tricks that I don't want to tell a lot of people, but I'll, I'll mention it here on the podcast is we have better success on the leeward side of hills as opposed to the windward side. 
Don't ask me why. It just appears that we have better success uh, for some reason on the leeward side of hills than on the windward side. And I have, I mentioned Pierre, I think it was uh, Nicky um, that uh, mentioned to Pierre that he thought that it was an elevation level, that at different elevations you're going to find the various chagas. So he was checking all the time, and Nicky's out in BC now, that uh, where he was harvesting the, the elevation, and he thought he found some consistency, but I haven't found any consistency in elevation because I found it uh, up high and down low, you know, up high being on hills and down low in swampy areas, and there's been quite a difference in the, the elevation. But if you look, sometimes uh, large areas, and we do grid and run our old skitter trails in a lot of the bush in various areas, and that's how we harvest a lot of ours is spend a lot of time in the bush, which we enjoy. But if you look, start off on, uh, and to be perfectly honest, we find a higher concentration in swampy areas than we do in dry areas for some reason. And, and I know I worked with uh, uh, Dr. Ann, who uh, is a mushroom expert, I call her. She trained in uh, Ohio State University. I'm not sure if that's where she got her PhD from or not. But anyways, uh, I've worked with her on testing chaga. I mean, we've got it growing in Petri dishes, and she's got some that she believes is growing well as well. But one thing that she said is chaga really likes moisture. So she was getting a lot of success with her um, experiments in Petri dishes with uh, high moisture contents with water. So that may be why we're finding more in kind of moist areas. But, yeah, leeward side and look in the areas. And when you find one, you'll find it a bunch in, in that area. And keep looking. Make sure you check all around the tree. Good to know. Now, so you're mentioning that about, like, Petri dishes and stuff and testing. Our, so we're doing our own research on this, I take it, as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, half a dozen. I've given uh, Dr. Ann a number of the uh, ones that we have, the chaga growing in the Petri dish. And because it's it's so slow-growing, so I've taken a lot of those and inoculated trees. And actually, uh, what do we have in the yard? We've got, I don't know, one, two, half a dozen, well, maybe birch trees in our own yard, or I've actually tried to inoculate those trees with the chaga as well. And and so the Petri dishes, it'll grow in the Petri dish, but it's, it's difficult to find and ensure that the, the growth median that we use in the Petri dish is something that can be used to move it to other locations. So we've got other tests as well I've provided. I worked with um, Dave, who provided us with a bunch of birch bark, because he is a tree, he works with a tree service company. And Dave actually uh, gave us a whole bunch of, of birch that we chipped up into small chips and used that as the growth median to try and see if we can get it there. So we've tried a number of different experiments. Got it growing in Petri dishes. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. But to determine whether when I take that stuff there and put it into a tree, whether it's going to be successful or not, don't know. Don't know if the mycelium needs to go through the whole tree before it breaks out or whether it uh, will come out in that area. But I keep checking those sites and, and haven't seen anything. But it's it's been about, oh, I think we started that about five years ago is when we started inoculating a number of trees and see if we can get that to grow. So we are growing in Petri dishes and trying it on trees and monitoring growth on the ones we've harvested as well. Excellent. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, and I'm just going back to like the harvesting there because 
I know a lot of people when they get concerned about it because it's they say, oh, it's such a rare mushroom, like it grows in every one in ten thousand birch trees. Like, is there going to be concerns with over harvesting the chagodon? Well, they're, they're, it's always a concern, but if, if people do things right, then it's not a problem. As I mentioned before, if you leave some of the chag on the tree, and I saw some sites that you should only take this percentage or that percentage. Well, I've tested that, and I still find that even if you just leave, say, basically an inch from the tree on the tree of the chaga, it'll continue to grow. And it's a slow growth, but that could be because our research is now indicating that the mycelium or the roots of it is going through the whole tree. So over-harvesting, so long as, as people leave some of the chaga on the tree, it should be there for future generations. And we are moving forward to trying to make sure that we can inoc inoculate trees. But I also have some other individuals where I can tell that there was chagas there. I know down um, around, oh, oh, let me see, some of the areas, I noticed some chagas there. And then when we went back, as I was watching them, somebody had harvested them and they'd taken the entire thing and dished it out. So it looks like a, a dish in the tree. And those will eventually, if, if you don't leave some on the tree, you're going to potentially kill off the population out there. But And then there's other ones there that, you know, I, I've met who've said, and I said, look, that's not good. Those are the kind of things that we don't want to happen. And I tell them that, that uh, they said, oh, well, we don't have a problem getting the ones high up. Um, we just cut the tree down and get it. And I said, well, that's the worst thing to do. Because if that happens, it's going to reduce the population of the, the chagas that are out there and eventually diminish it to its a point of, of concern. But like I said, uh, in those high up ones, uh, we use a, a Garrett or a Josh. And with the climbing spurs and up they go and they bring them down and, and the tree's intact with no problems at all. So, yeah, you got to watch and make sure um, that you leave some on the tree and that it'll continue to grow as well and that the trees are there for that future generations and utilize it as well. Yeah, awesome. Like, that's good to know because uh, a lot of people are concerned when I talk to people at shows, stuff like that as well. I say, you know, we're taking it all over, killing off the jag and stuff like that. And to hear that is we harvest, sustainably harvest it and we make sure that we yeah. leave tree about an inch to two inch like you said there so it continues to grow from that's just great because that way you know future generations can still be able to enjoy chaga we're not going to deplete the resource yeah and that, that's one thing it's a chaga is a symbiotic relationship that's not beneficial to the tree because it's extracting the tree would rather not have it there it's extracting nutrients from the tree to to sustain itself and obviously if the mycelium is going through the entire core of the tree it's killing the tree so some people i've I saw some some indications at some locations that, oh, it benefits the tree. I don't think it benefits the tree. Anything that I've seen in all the research that we've done, the and as you know, Pierre had mentioned that the, the cores were all filled with mycelium. And some people say, oh, it's killing the tree. Well, got to remember, we just finished talking about a 44-year-old chaga that we have at home. So it's been killing that tree for 44 years. Yeah, it may be slow and it's taking place, but uh, it, I don't think it's extending the life. I think the chaga is the one that's benefiting from being with the tree. And the reason part of it is that uh, it extracts certain, we harvest off birch. The reason we do that is because it extracts certain things from the birch bark itself, being triterpenes, being betulin and betulinic acid, and converts it into things that are beneficial to people. So that's why we harvest off birch. And I can't tell you whether the other trees 
contain the same materials and the same concentrations that are found in birch, i.e. being the ironwood, the, the hop hornbeam, or the poplar and other trees that we find it on. So that's why we harvest it off birch. But yeah, you want to make sure that uh, you do it in a sustainable way and you make sure that it's there for future generations. a small town sheet metal mechanic come to build one of Canada's most iconic fishing lodges? I'm your host Steve Nidswicki and you'll find out about that and a whole lot more on the Outdoor Journal Radio Network's newest podcast, Diaries of a Lodge Owner. But this podcast will be more than that. Every week on Diaries of a Lodge Owner, I'm going to introduce you to a ton of great people, share their stories of our trials, tribulations and inspirations learn and have plenty of laughs along the way meanwhile we're sitting there bobbing along trying to figure out how to catch a bass and we both decided one day we were going to be on television doing a fishing show my hands get sore a little bit when i'm reeling in all those bass in the summertime but that's might be for more fishing than it was punching you so confidently you said hey pat have you ever eaten a drum? Find Diaries of a Lodge Owner now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And now it's time for another testimonial for Chaga Health and Wellness. Hi, it's Jerry from Chaga Health and Wellness. We're here in Lindsay with Tula, who is actually from Finland and uses Chaga. Tula, you've had some good experiences with Chaga. Can you just tell us what that experience is? Yes, I got sick with fibro, and uh, one weekend, my husband came here alone. I was home, and uh, he brought your uh, your leaflet, Right. and I read it, and I said, next weekend when we go to a market, we're going to buy it some. And so we started putting it in our morning smoothie, Right. and uh, among a few other things that I was doing because of that the chaka has been the steady one right i would not want to live without it oh good yeah so it's been working for me very good lots of ways and you had uh, some good luck with blood pressure as well all right yeah (laughs) thanks for remembering that that's uh yeah i had a little bit of high elevated blood pressure and within the two weeks of starting that Every day, yeah. every morning, uh, it went to normal. And you think the chaga was the reason why? Well, I didn't do anything else in that, to- that, that time. That time frame. Yeah. Oh, very good. And so how much chaga did you have and how did you have it? Well, we just put that powder in the smoothie. Right. Know, yeah. And uh, it's about a tablespoon. Yeah. No, it's less than a tablespoon for teaspoon? two of us. Yeah. yeah. So you don't need that much. Right. But a teaspoon, yeah? Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks for very much for sharing that. We really appreciate that and wish you all the best with the Chaga. Oh, you're from Finland as well. And yeah. Chaga is pretty popular in Finland, is it not? I think it probably is because there's some professors in a university that uh, that's uh, teaching it and uh, talking about it. And, of course, it's big in Russia. Right. Uh, because that's where, you know, the northern woods that came comes from. Yep. Yeah. And, of course, Finland has lots of... Birch trees. Right. Yeah. And it's so the only mushroom that you can't forage in Finland. You're allowed to forage everything else, but not chaga. Oh, very good. Well, thanks very much for sharing that. 
Okay, have a great day. You we interrupt this program to bring you a special offer from Chaga Health and Wellness. If you've listened this far and you're still wondering about this strange mushroom that I keep talking about and whether you would benefit from it or not, I may have something of interest to you. To thank you for listening to the show, I'm going to make trying Chaga that much easier by giving you a dollar off all our Chaga products at checkout. All you have to do is head over to our website, ChagaHealthAndWellness.com, place a few items in the cart, and check out with the code CANOPY, C-A-N-O-P-Y. If you're new to Chaga, I'd highly recommend the regular Chaga tea. This comes with 15 tea bags per package, and each bag gives you around five or six cups of tea. Hey, thanks for listening. Back to the episode. So now you were saying there about some of the medicinal aspects of Chaga, and that's probably after we find out it's been sustainably harvested, that, you know, people have done their research on it. People really want to know it's like, the next question is because people don't do their own research on their own medical problems or issues that they may have, is that what does Chaga do for a person? What can be found in Chaga that's beneficial for the human body? Well, when you see these studies, and and we don't try to sell the product, what we do is sell the information. So we give people the information. um, We show them where they can find it. I mentioned, you know, PubMed, Science Direct, and there are a number of other locations you can find it. But I think some of the, the key components within Chaga that are there is, is it's the highest antioxidant producing material of anything out there. So blueberries, for example, 100 grams of blueberries produce about 2,450 units of antioxidants. 100 grams of Chaga, and this is on average. I mean, you got to remember when we're, we're talking about wild harvested material, there's no studies to say that the materials found in 100 grams of 44-year-old chaga have the same properties as a 10-year-old chaga. And the difference between a lot of the natural products that are out there or that are utilized is, and Western traditional Western pharmaceuticals is that if you take low-dose aspirin, for example, every 81 milligram ASA aspirin has 81 milligrams of ASA. However, you don't know whether every 100 grams of chaga has the same amount of antioxidants. That's because there's not studies out there. So what's said is on average that depending on the extraction type of way you get the the antioxidants out of 100 grams of chaga, you're looking at anywhere well over 385,000 units of antioxidants. And there are different ways to extract it. You can do a uh, what we mostly utilize or promote is a tea extraction or a water extraction, which extracts water-soluble antioxidants. But there are other materials or ways that people would do a tincture. And for people who don't know what a tincture is, if you if you use say vanilla extract would be a great example. What they do is they put the vanilla beans in alcohol, and they let it sit there, and it extracts the vanilla flavor that you get in your vanilla extract. It's the same thing with the tincture. If you use an alcohol extraction with chaga, you're going to extract a fat-soluble antioxidant that can be used. And quite frankly, 
some of the research indicates that some of the fat-soluble antioxidants work differently on different uh, types of uses as compared to, for example, I recall one study in the cervical cancer where the water extraction actually worked best is what was in there from that study that I read. And you got to remember, we're not doctors. We don't give medical advice. What we do is we provide information and give people the research on their own. And that's the biggest thing is we're not a doctor. We don't give medical advice. But so their antioxidant levels are very high. And people ask everybody, it's kind of a buzzword. What are antioxidants? Well, to put things in terms, and I handle, hand this out to individuals as a study as well, it talks about antioxidants. Antioxidants, when we're doing anything, when I'm talking here, when I'm moving my hands, when I'm walking, you're burning and you're burning molecules. A lot of the times you don't burn the complete molecule. Okay, those unburnt portions of molecules are called free radicals. And you can get free radicals in a number of different ways. It can be absorbed through the skin, the foods we eat, the air we breathe in, and you take in all these free radicals. Free radicals, and I'm putting this in terms that people basically would understand, essentially with other free radicals, and a lot of times they concentrate and congregate in other areas, and they can start, because they want to be a complete molecule, they start to extract other molecules, and they start to break down your system when they pair up or move with other things. Essentially, antioxidants consume free radicals. So the higher the antioxidant level, the more free radicals it consumes, the less your body breaks down in the first place. So that's one of the key components of, of a chaga. And the other one I would probably say, which is, is even more probably beneficial, although it's six of one, half a dozen of another, is the anti-inflammatory components of the chaga. And what that does is inflammation. And I recall, oh, I think it was June 2023, there was about a half a dozen articles that came out that specifically talked about cancer and inflammation, that there may be a link there with the overabundance of inflammation in certain areas. And, and the research studies were indicating something along those lines, whether, and as I said, we're not doctors, can't give medical advice, but the research that I saw, and there was a number of articles that all sort of came out at the time, same time, which I believe, I think it was PubMed that I saw those ones on, that talked about eliminating inflammation as being one of the key ways to reduce a lot of the problems. And with Chaga, the anti-inflammatory components of it are what are listed as being some of the aspects that would remove, for example, rheumatoid and psoriatic arthritis are inflammation-based, and the elimination of inflammation allows the body to heal itself, which is what Chaga does and helps out a lot. So those would be some of the, the key aspects that I see there. And there's a lot of other studies that, that indicate that, that Chaga actually would consume cancer cells and or stimulate the body's own ability to fight cancer. So those are some of the, the key components found in some of the stories, how it's utilized. And the, believe me, the stories and the individuals that we get I was just with uh, Phil, my mechanic, last night, who was who was raving about it again. That uh, you know he didn't know much about it, and he'd have to use tools to to because the arthritis in his hands were so bad on in small areas that he'd have to get a tool, a pair of pliers to try and wench off a, a tight nut. And then all of a sudden, he realized he was using his fingers. Hey, I can do that now. And it took a bit of time, but uh, guess what? He's starting to see the the benefits for his arthritis in his case. But it's like everything. Sometimes things work for some people and everybody's different. Sometimes they don't. We're not doctors. We give you the information, let you make your decision. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I know if you've told me over the years that Chag has been helpful for a lot of many different ailments and diseases. I know 
MS was a big one that you told me there, and I know as well as uh, prostate cancer as well. So that's great when you hear that this stuff can be beneficial for many of those cancers and diseases that people might have. Yep. Yeah. So, and one of the other things that we didn't mention, sorry to cut you off there, but um, Health Canada was recognized in 2015 for Health Canada, and it gives the guidelines there. It says don't consume more than, I think it was 3.6 grams a day. And the only cautions by Health Canada were listed for, were for pregnant and breastfeeding females. However, I mentioned that article uh, from the Memorial Sloan Caring Cancer Center. And when you read that, there are some additional concerns there in regards to people taking medications being for blood pressure and diabetes because you could be essentially over-medicating to, to be cautious there. But one of the other things that um, Health Canada mentioned is it's also been recognized for dogs, cats, and horses as well and having a benefit for them. And I met one quarter horse uh, trainer who worked a circuit in the northeastern states in Canada in the quarter horse racing circuit that he used to feed his quarter horses uh, chaga all the time. And according to him, it worked great for ensuring that the reduction of inflammation and any of the ailments that they get seem to help out. So there's been a lot of uh, use for other things other than just people. And we've had individuals such as a friend of ours, Jackie, whose dog was was given a very short period of time that ended up going, I believe it was about two years after we put the dog on Chega, which was quite surprising to the vet. But yeah, we've had a lot of good success in those areas. Awesome, yeah. So I was just about to ask there about, um, so how does Chaga compare to other medicinal mushrooms? Because people always talk to me about well, lion's mane or reishis or shiitake and all this stuff. And, and I don't have all the answers myself about how it compares to a lot of the other known medicinal mushrooms out there. Yeah, well, all the mushroom pundits um, will tell you that uh, Chaga would be the, the king of medicinal mushrooms would be the number one because it covers the most area and has the highest impact on a lot of areas. And, and, then, and then would be Rishi would be number two. And after that, it's hard to say because, you know, you, you talk to individuals like Paul Stamets, whose mother used turkey tail to cure her cancer. And there's turkey tail and lion's mane, lion's mane, my research on it. Now, we don't have as much research on any of the other mushrooms as we do with Chaga. We specialize in Chaga, although we're gaining more and more in a lot of different areas. Lion's mane is, is, and I've seen studies that indicated that lion's mane is supposed to reconstitute neural pathways in the brain and spinal column that uh, would help individuals who are dealing with things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and other uh, issues and dementia and things like that of the brain, but it takes regular consumption of three months and it's based on body weight. And there's studies out there that you can find that talk about that. So Chaga number one, Rishi number two, and then after that, it's hard to say, is it is it lion's mane? Is it turkey tail? Is it a gnocchi? I mean, the, in I think it was Japan, they found a significant reduction of certain types of cancer in one area, and they couldn't figure out why this area was 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 seeing such a huge reduction. As I recall the study, it was about 80% reduced numbers of certain types of cancer in the area as compared to other parts of the, the country. And they found that there was a, a mushroom plant that grew these gnocchi um, mushrooms, and the workers there were allowed to take home the seconds so they were consuming large quantities of these mushrooms in their areas, and it was helping reduce that particular type of cancers in those areas. So 
There's a lot of different ones out there. Chaga number one, Rishi number two. After that, is it turkey tail? Is it lion's name? Is it gnocchi? Cordyceps? I mean, uh, the, the movie the, or the TV series, The Last of Us, is based on cordyceps that mutate, that actually infect people and spread through the entire world, which is kind of interesting. But Because cordyceps actually feed on insects. And if you want to see something really amazing, uh, you can see some of this cordyceps YouTube research on how cordyceps work, where actually the ant will go to a specific height, which is ideal for the spreading of the spores of that particular mushroom, the cordyceps, to other ants and how it spreads around. So that was kind of neat. But yeah, there's um, a lot of different mushrooms that are out there. Chaga number one, a lot of the other ones come down on the list, but it's still high. The other ones have specific uses or more research for other areas. But if you look around, you'll see that there's a lot of more mushrooms becoming available at different locations. I've seen the gnocchi in grocery stores now, and I'm sure they're not for a medicinal purpose, but they're for a cooking purpose, and they have a lot of benefits. And there's more and more research being done and found out about these mushrooms. Very good, yeah. We'll have to uh, hopefully answer a lot of people's questions about in the comparison there from, you know, different mushroom species. Now, yeah. I guess after people get all this information, they get all the studies and examples, how we harvest it, all this stuff, and they want to say, you know what, I want to try Chega. I want to get into it. What suggestions would you make to that person to say, how do you get into it? What's the easiest way to do it? What would you suggest and how they take it? Yeah, um, what I suggest is that, uh, you know, read your research, make sure that, uh, you know, I mentioned the Health Canada guidelines. We're not doctors, nor do we give medical advice, nor would we ever suggest you do anything other than what your healthcare professional advises you to do. Um, but if you read your research, you can find it. Um, if you're interested in a, on our site, you can look at our product. There's a lot of other people who provide chaga out there. And if you're harvesting it on your own, leave some on the tree. Normally what we suggest to do is to, within harvesting it, within 24 hours of harvesting it, the time of year is one of the things as well. A lot of people said that you can only harvest in the wintertime. But when we go to powwows, every one of the ones, and you were up one at uh, Thessalon Way, Garrett, mm -hmm. where you spoke to the person there who was the, the medicine person, the, the shaman for that particular area. and they specifically said they harvest all year long. I think some of it is harvesting it uh, when we tell people, harvest it, chunk it up into about walnut-sized pieces, cure it, which means it'll lose about, and let it naturally cure. And don't do it in plastic because you could develop the moisture content, could develop secondary mold growth, which could contaminate your, your chagas. But uh, chog it up into about walnut-sized pieces, let it cure. And then if you want to take it down to make it into a powder or tea-grade material, just uh, we find that uh, use a coffee bean grinder, but watch out. Only put one chunk in at a time because it goes hard. We get a lot of people say, well, how do you break it up? And I said, well, how big is it now? And I said, oh, well, the only thing we can suggest you do there is, is put it in an old pillowcase or an old towel or take a mallet to it and break it up and eliminate all the impurities on it. And that's hard to do in itself. But if you do it at the, when it's that early stage, it's a lot easier. So if you're harvesting on your own, make sure it's cured, it's dried, it'll lose about uh, 45 to 55% of its weight, depending on when it's harvested. But we only harvest when there's no sap in the tree, the birch trees. 
which is usually when the, the leaves start to change and fall. And we harvest, do our harvesting at that time. We find that that's uh, the best time for us to harvest. And if you go on sites, make sure it's chaga, because i got to tell you, one site I was looking at, I was looking at and they were talking about chaga, and the picture they had on, I think it was a, a jar or a bottle that they were putting the chaga in or some kind of container, was actually a, an artist conk on the front, and it wasn't even chaga on the picture of it. So you got to make sure it's chaga. And so long as you get it from a reliable source, that's one of the key ways to get it. And if you want to, you can get it, you know, through our sites, which is Chaga Health, the letter N, wellness, at gmail.com or Chaga Health and Wellness.com is our website. You can check it out there and take a look, and that's some of the, the spots. Or the other thing is, if you're looking to come and see us, some of the spots that uh, we do, We'll be at uh, this year, the Toronto Sportsman Show this year. And the Sportsman Show, we've been uh, there. We, we do lecturing, actually. And people have questions that uh, they want to, to ask us. They can come to the Sportsman Show, which is a great spot to come and see. And there'll be other individuals there. Now, some of the other guests that we, that we have on our show will actually be there. I know uh, Jack Summers with Radio World will be there at uh, the Sportsman Show. So a lot of the, the metal detector stuff uh, will be there, along with a number of other individuals who've been on our show as well will be there. And it's a great spot that people can come and enjoy a lot of the great outdoors and seeing out there and hear the lectures. And we'll be on the, we're usually on the outdoor stage at the, the Sportsman Show, which is at the International Centre in Mississauga. And I'm just getting the dates of it here. And you can get your tickets now. So the Toronto Sportsman Show this year is March the 14th to the 17th, again at the International Centre. And you can see us there. You'll be able to see actually a lot of the the other individuals who Angelo and those are usually there at the show as well, along with the Ministry of Natural Resources has a, a booth there. Great show. A lot of attendance, great outdoors, great possibility to, to come and see us. And that's one of the, the good spots, uh, March 14th to 17th, that you'll be able to come out and see or listen or ask us questions at our booth and see you there. Awesome. Yeah, that's great to know. Like, uh, and they can also contact us online as well, right? That's right. Yeah, we gave the, uh, if you go to Chega Health and Wellness, all one word, dot com, you can reach out to us. You see our website, you can reach us directly through there. And we answer questions all the time. It's not a problem. Uh, that's one of the things we do. I also go, uh, this. I do a number of other events which are listed on our website that you'll be able to find us where or ask us questions through. And so a lot of times we will actually send through some of the research that people are interested in specific or show people where to get it. Remember, we're not doctors. can't give medical advice. But uh, we provide the information that people can use with their healthcare professional to determine what's in their best interest, or come on down to the Sportsman Show on March 14th and 17th and see us down there. Awesome. That's great to know. And I guess the last thing there, just to touch on a bit, was um, so on the website, what would they a person expect when going through your website then? Like list of items? Like I know I've said to people before, we've mainly taken the water extraction and tea form. So we sell tea on the website, but I'm sure you can go over a little bit more in details there about what people to, can expect on the website there. 
Yeah, it's all the products. Um, there are some products that, uh, for example, at Sportsman Show, we have some specialty products that we provide there that aren't on the website simply because shipping costs and things like that. But And we've invented a few things with it as well. So with the Chaga, one of the things that's on there is a, a Chaga cream. It's a hand face body cream that we have huge success with things like uh, eczema, psoriasis, rashes, bug bites, burns, and a number of other topical applications as well that also, can be used. Not to cut you off there, but I also want to mention it's great for dry hands, especially when I'm working outside all the time in the winter or cold temperatures. I know the cream really works well on dry, cracked hands. Yeah, and I had uh, Greg, a friend of ours. He's a Hungarian, actually, he's from Transylvania. He was showing me his hands last Saturday that uh, have all cured up because they were were all cracked and, and tore up pretty bad from working outside, just as you said. And he was swearing by it. But yeah, the, the, the skin cream, the hand face body cream is, uh, is a great material for a lot of different topical applications. And actually, that came about uh, Dr. Couture, who was working in Lindsay before he retired and moved out back home out east. He actually asked us to make a topical application if we could. And it took us a year and a half to get a formula and then six months to get the manufacturing process right for that cream. But that was just another one of the, the things that uh, the benefits that are there. And people can try it or uh, test it. And if you come down to the Sportsman Show, we have uh, samples that people can try of uh, the different lines, whether it's the straight Chaga, the Chaga Chai, the, the Chaga Green. And, and actually, uh, Chaga Green Tea, so it's a green tea and Chaga blend. Chaga Chai is, is uh, a chai tea, which is cinnamon, cardamom, cloves, ginger, black tea, black pepper, and Chaga all in the same. And at the show, we're going to have a new line, which will be apple cinnamon Chaga. And if people want to try that, it'll be available down there for people to test. Awesome. That's amazing to know. Yeah. So I think uh, we'll wrap it up now. I uh, really appreciate that. But uh, if you want to, check out our website. Look up the research areas. Thanks for being on the show again, uh, Garrett. We really appreciate that. And if you want to come and see us down at the Sportsman Show, here are our lectures. And part of our lecture this year will be on foraging, not just on Chaga, although it'll be less on Chaga because my other years I focused heavily on Chaga. And this year I'll be providing sumac samples. If you're listening to our our podcast on sumac i'll have sumac tea there for people to test along with i'll have some other giveaways that'll be very interesting for people to try and learn about about foraging as a whole and chaga as well but really appreciate uh, you taking the time garrett and we look forward to seeing people at the sportsman show or get in touch with us if you have any questions don't be afraid to reach out to us and looking forward to spending more time and hey enjoy your time out there under the canopy What brings people together more than fishing and hunting? How about food? I'm Chef Antonio Maleca and I've spent years catering to the stars. Now, on Outdoor Journal Radio's Eatin' Wild podcast, Louise, Hooksat, and I are bringing our expertise and Rolodex to our real passion, the outdoors. Each week, we're bringing you inside the boat, tree stand, or duck blind and giving you real advice that you can use to make the most out of your fish and game. You're going to flip that duck breast over once you get a nice hard sear on that breast. You don't want to sear the actual meat. And it's not just us chatting here. If you can name a celebrity, we've probably worked with them. 
and I think you might be surprised who likes to hunt and fish. When Kit Harrington asks me to prepare him sashimi with his bass, I couldn't say no. So whatever Taylor Sheridan wanted, I made sure I had it. Burgers, steak, anything off the barbecue. That's a true cowboy. All Jeremy Renner wanted to have was lemon ginger shots all day. Find Eating Wild now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.